Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbarnwell.com. Great grace, peace and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. The following is a studio broadcast in our current series in which we are dealing with the grace of God and in this particular phase of our exploration of the grace of God we are dealing with the issue of the favor of God as a manifestation of grace. Quintessentially what we are putting forth is that any claim to have resident grace within your life uh, will be evidenced by overt expressions of you being favored by God and men in the earth. The scriptures are very clear in this respect in that Luke 2.52 indicates that Jesus grew in wisdom, in stature, in favor with God and with men. The word favor there is the Greek term charis, often translated grace. So grace has outward demonstrable manifestations, one of which will be that God will show you preferential treatment or you will get unfair advantage bestowed upon you in life, both from his hand personally. And most often this will manifest itself in how men on the earth treat you preferentially. Uh, they will give, they will prefer you in a sense, uh, favor you, treat you favorably, or grant to you an unfair advantage. So in essence, where there are natural limitations or, or natural impediments to progress in a particular field or in the exploration of God's purposes or on a particular assignment that God has placed you upon. And if in, the, in your execution of the same, there, there might be natural limitations or drawbacks then grace kicks in to grant to you favor such that you will do the will of the Lord, not being limited or prescribed by natural factors that are designed to limit you. Natural factors either in your personage, your personality, or in terms of qualification to, to, to act in a certain capacity or to function in a certain way. Or limitation imposed upon you by men on the earth. There's literally no limitation of any um, form or from any source that can threaten the outworking of the grace of God in your life. Because God supernaturally will order your world such that even men within your sphere and those seemingly that will oppose you like your enemies, God can turn their heart to show you unprecedented favor, granting you access freely to explore the will of the Lord for your life or to access the predetermined blessing that God has for all of his sons. So I want to continue along this vein uh, 
uh, to teach on the fact that God has favored us as his sons. Psalm 102 verse 12 and 13 indicates that the set time to favor Zion has come. And I want to encourage you as you continue to listen, expect favor. If you have been following the series on grace from its inception, and you're observing all the principles that I've set forth so far to access greater quality or quantums of grace, I believe that you are poised to experience the, in a very practical way, the favor of God upon your life. Now, part of the experience of the favor of God would be to experience the blessing of the Lord. When God made Adam and Eve in the initial phase or in the, at the time of their creation, the Bible says that he blessed them. And he said, go forth and multiply, etc. Right at the beginning of uh, the creation of man, God factored blessing into him. Being blessed is to be well-favored by the Lord, where God treats us, speaks to us in a particular fashion that, is, that, is, that grants to us favor in this life. And I want to encourage you that you are blessed simply because you are God's son. Uh, functioning in the favor of God or entering into the blessing of the Lord is no great bigger deal when you understand who you are in Christ. The blessing of God will flow out from an understanding of your identity as God's son and from the reality that God is God who is your father. God is the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And not just our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, but to every other son that he, Jesus, has brought into the family by virtue of his death. Uh, he brought many sons into glory. In other words, he, he brought all of us into the same estate that he has. We are not just heirs of God. We are joint heirs or co-heirs together with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, when God made Adam, and the Bible clearly indicates in the genealogical record of Christ in the book of Matthew, that Adam, the first man, was God's son. So when God made Adam and Eve, the scripture in Genesis indicates that God blessed them. So there's no uh, contradiction between you being a son of God and you being blessed of God. So Functioning practically in your blessed state is to function uh, from out of the identity, the reality, the firm persuasion and conviction that you are indeed the son of God in the earth. So I want to encourage you, you indeed are blessed. Uh, Paul in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 says, Thanks be to God, the Father who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We are in Christ, and by virtue of our positioning in Christ, us in Him, He in us, our Father has blessed us already with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, the word blessed when one blesses another, 
the Hebrew indicates that the blessor invokes the entirety of his essence, nature, and even possibility into the one that is blessed. So there's an imputation, there's an impartation of capacity, of, of nature and ability into the one blessed. So when we speak of being blessed by God, it's every resource locked up in God that becomes ours by virtue of the fact that we indeed are the blessed of God. Now, being blessed of God is a pre-existent reality. It's already predetermined in your selection in Christ Jesus from even before the foundations of the world, before your birth, even before your salvation experience. You existed in Christ in spirit form. And being in God, in Christ, way before your conception or birth, the fact that you were in union with him already indicates that there was you are you are you were eternally part of him. In time, he chose to release you to the earth. And your conception, the event of your birth, your subsequent choosing of Christ in your initial salvation experience, because he chose you before the worlds began, like the lamb was slain from before the foundation of the world. So uh, Ephesians 1.3 uh, and following indicates that Christ chose us in God. We were chosen in him. In essence, we did not choose him. He chose us before time began. In time, he knew that we would choose him. Our choice of him is only a response to his preordained choice of us. Now, in our salvation experience and even prior to that, our blessed state is an established reality. It's an unalterable established fact that you are blessed. Now, objective truth must become experiential reality. So, we are blessed positionally in Christ, but that positional blessed state must translate into a practical blessed experience whereby we experience the favor of God. And like the text in First Peter indicates in chapter 1 that God has given us everything that pertains to life and godliness in this life. We have everything we need. Um, we as sons of God should live a blessed life. Our needs should be catered for, should be well provided for, because God is our Father. And even though we walk through seasons of testing and times where of need, we, we know where to run. We come boldly to the throne of grace to find mercy, to obtain mercy to find grace in time of our need. So we are not thrown by times of need because we know who our source is. But all sons of God should manifest a blessed life. And this issue of blessing will be further prosecuted in subsequent broadcasts. But for now, what I want to demonstrate is positional truth must become practical truth. Positionally, we are blessed, but practically, we must start to walk 
in the blessed experience of our identity as God's sons in the earth, rooted in who we are as his sons and in the reality of him as our papa, our daddy, our father, who will always take good care of us. Now, for example, because we are objectively the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus through faith in him, and it's not because of our works or our, our own efforts. The scripture teaches that very clearly. The gift of righteousness has been given to us. And we have become the righteousness of God in Christ. That's a positional truth. I'm righteous before him. By virtue of my acceptance of him as my Lord and Savior, washed away my sin, he redeemed me. Um, he translated me out from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. I am righteous before him, my sins being washed away. That is an objective truth. But now once saved and declared righteous in Christ before God, in my life I am to subjectively and practically do the works of righteousness outwardly in my life as fruits or as evidence of an attained righteousness by faith. So I don't do works of righteousness to earn salvation at the initial phase of my salvation experience, but once saved and once um, being authorized to be called a son of God with him as my father, the quality of my life then demands of me that I exhibit righteousness, that I I do righteous works and that my behavioral patterns, my thoughts, my attitudes would be consistent with the righteousness that God has given to me as a gift. Um, amongst many things, righteousness alludes to a right standing with God where I find acceptance, no condemnation before him. Now to illustrate this, 1 John 3.10 says, by this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. So what is the, the, the delineating line between the children of God and the children of the devil? This, the text further says, anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. It's very clear here. Anybody that does not practice righteousness is not of God. The emphasis is practice righteousness. If I am righteous positionally, I ought to do righteousness or practice righteousness. First John chapter 3 and verse 7 says, Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. I don't think we can hear it more plainly and more profoundly than that verse in 1 John 3, 7. He who practices righteousness is righteous. So who is the one who is righteous? Yes, you can claim positional righteousness in Christ by virtue of your acceptance of him and your standing before God is one of righteousness. That is an unalterable fact, objective truth. But because of that in your life, you should outwardly manifest by your works, behavior, and attitude, righteous lifestyle. Now, similarly, even though we are blessed as an already established reality in God, 
in our lives, certain dispositions, mentalities and behaviors can activate our personal experience of it to the measure that God has fully determined. Our capacity to observe these these activating positions is itself possible only because we have been blessed in Christ and already have been endowed with His grace, which allows us then to observe obedience to God's Word in a number of respects. Now this is very important to understand. I am blessed positionally. God wants me to walk practically in dimensions of blessing which are unearthed by my lifestyle of obedience to His Word. I am able to obey simply because I am already blessed and grace has been granted to me to pursue acts of obedience which in and of themselves would activate practical blessing. In a later broadcast, I will demonstrate this clearly from the life of Abraham. So this obedience will open to us the fullest possible expressions or manifestations of the blessing attendant with our inheritance in God. Obedience then is a key factor that activates our already blessed position in Christ. Without practical obedience to God's principles in His Word, practical walking into your blessed state is impossible. Now I want to encourage you, you are favored. You are indeed blessed. He has blessed you already with, with, with every possible spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And this, this broadcast today is an encouragement for you and I to harness the fullest experience of that through an obedient lifestyle. Now before we get there, and we, we probably will only touch that at a later broadcast, but I want to encourage you with this. Many times we fail to see the practical outworking of positional truth. It hasn't become subjective personal experience, although it is an established objective reality in the unseen realm of spirit. Many times it takes sheer faith and a belief in the attained, already attained position of it positionally to then walk it out practically. You can never walk it out practically if it hasn't become an established truth within you, within your heart, within your spirit, and within the mind of your soul. Now, for example, it was promised to Abraham that he would be a father of nations, and yet he did not have one son. But, but God promised him, a son, and against all contrary physical limiting and contrary factors within his world, he believed what God said. In other words, he believed the positional reality. And by virtue of the strength of his conviction therein, he started in time to walk practically into that positional truth. And now Hebrews or, or Romans 4 calls this faith. And it hails Abraham as having great faith, unswerving confidence, and trust in God, that what God said is able to perform. I want to read a text in Romans 4, from verse 17 to 21. 
As it is written, a father of many nations, I have made you. This is a quote from Genesis. God is saying to Abraham, it is written, father of many nations, I have made you. In the presence of him whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. Now, it's very important you understand that. God calls into being, he gives life to the dead and he calls into being that which does not exist. If a thing does not exist and God says it exists, it does exist even though there's no evidence of it simply because God said it does. Now, the scripture continues concerning Abraham. It says, in hope, against hope, he believed so that he might become the father of many nations according to that which had been spoken, so shall your descendants be. Without, weak, without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but he grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully assured that what God promised, he was able to perform. This is an extremely encouraging uh, passage of Scripture. Now, there were severely uh, uh, limiting or militating factors against the promise that he would be a father against him. He was extremely old, about 100 years old. His wife Sarah's womb was barren. But the scripture says, against all hope, he believed that he would be a father of many nations. And I want to encourage you not to lose hope. Uh, not to become hopeless, but remain hopeful. Hope is a mental attitude of expectancy concerning the future. And I want to encourage you to not give up on your dream. Do not, keep, do not give up on the attainment of valid prophecies spoken over your life. Do not give up on the promises of God. Maintain an attitude of expectancy that you're going to walk practically into those things which God has sounded forth as a positional truth over your life. The Bible says, Abraham believed that he would become a father of many nations according to that which was spoken. So shall your descendants be. Our faith is rooted not in circumstances, but it is rooted in that which was spoken. Oftentimes, that which God speaks over our lives, into our lives, concerning us, um, stands and stares factors in our natural world that are so opposite, it's so contrary to that which God has spoken. But I want to encourage you, the reality that you need to adopt is not what stares you in the face. The reality that must be, that must be a firm conviction within your life is that which God has said. The Bible says, Abraham did not become weak in faith. And he did not contemplate or consider two things. Firstly, his own body, old, or the deadness of Sarah's womb. But he did not waver in unbelief. 
but he grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. He did not consider the contradictory factors, the, 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 the things in his world that loudly said to him, God's word will never come to pass. Impossible. There's nothing in your world, Abraham, that facilitates the fulfillment of God's promise. Yet, Abraham, the Bible says, did not consider those factors. I want to encourage you not to contemplate, to meditate, to cogitate, and thus agitate over any factor in your life which is loudly challenging the truth of what God said concerning you. Um, particularly the fact that you are favored and blessed. Perhaps presently there are signs in your life that speak oppositely to your blessed state. I want to encourage you, adopt inwardly within your person a truth not based upon external evidence, a truth rooted in what, is, what God said concerning you, concerning your sonship, concerning his nature as father over you. And start to let that be your dominant reality. Let that be your dominant reality. Uh, faith concerns the unseen realm. Faith is sight. It's a perspective into what God said in the unseen realm as true of you in the seen realm. And even if the thing has not yet come to pass as true in the realm which is seen, your conviction of it as being true in the unseen realm must still bear strong even in the face of factors that contradict that reality. This is very important for you to understand. The Bible says in the book of 1 Corinthians that for now we walk by faith and we do not walk by sight. Naturally, we walk by sight as human beings. We, we need our eyes to see to make sense of our world. But spiritually, we have sight by faith into an unseen realm, which is our dominant reality that is superimposed upon the seen reality. And if you maintain faith, firm belief in that dominant unseen reality, the seen reality will soon have to align itself to comply with what is true in the unseen realm. So the Lord would teach us to pray. Pray like this, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Earth, the seen realm, must line up with heaven's dictates, the unseen realm. Now, I want to encourage you, do not succumb to the present state of unfulfilled prophecy, uh, unfulfilled promise, negative factors that seem to indicate to you that where is the favor of God, where is your blessedness, where is the evidence that God is with you. Don't let doubt, fear, and unbelief displace your faith conviction in God. An example of this is John's imprisonment on the Isle of Patmos. John wrote the book of John. He also wrote the book, the epistles of 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. But he also wrote the end time book of the revelation of Jesus Christ, the last book in the scripture. But he, he had he had tremendous insights given to him by God in that book. He pierced through the seen realm into the unseen world of spirit 
and the Lord showed him um, and gave him comprehension of his will in the earth and a revelation of Christ that very few have encountered. But he says this in Revelation 1, verse 9 and 10. I, John, your brother and partner in tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. Now notice what is happening here. He's incarcerated. He's imprisoned, he's banished or exiled to an island called Patmos. Physically, his movements are limited. He has very few options in terms of natural movement in the earth. But the fact that he was bound physically did not bind him internally, spiritually. He did not allow the physical imprisonment to limit his access to things in the spirit world. He overcame the physical limitation and his, his spirit surmounted, hurdled over, if you would, pressed beyond what was an impediment to him in the natural physical sense. And I want to encourage you with the same. You might, it might seem to you now that uh, you are in prison, that there's no movement, there's very few options. But I want to encourage you to transcend that in the realm of spirit with the mind of your spirit having a reality of God's word as true concerning whatever he has said about you. And do not succumb to and thus accommodate your life to abide in that prison-like state. So I want to encourage you, be in the spirit on the Lord's day as it were. Live life in the spirit. Don't live life as a natural man, but as a spiritual man. And with the eye of faith, begin to see the thing as true in the realm of spirit. And once you do that, natural, natural things will have to adjust to align themselves with the strength of your conviction of what is really true concerning you. I want to end with just another practical example of this found in Psalm 84. Psalm 84 let me read it and then I will make my comments as an encouragement to you hereafter. It says, How lovely are your dwelling place, is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yet it faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, a swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars. O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever singing praises to you. Selah. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength, every one of them appears before God in Zion. Now, the sons of Korah wrote the psalm. And it is obvious from the context that the psalmist or psalmists were barred from free access 
to the sanctuary of the Lord at Zion or Jerusalem. So there's this lament that they cannot freely go in and out to the courts of the Lord to function worshipfully to God. And being, in a sense, exiled, imprisoned away from that environment, the psalmist or psalmist exclaim, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. And, and in verse the, the next verse, it seems as though the psalmist is even um, envious of birds that fly in and out, have unhindered access to the sanctuary. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself, the psalmist said. And, and he recalls perhaps previous times when he or they could, could enter um, unhinderedly, unimpeded, the presence of God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, he says. They are ever praising you, Selah. Then he makes, in the next verse, a remarkable statement. He says, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are highways to Zion. What the psalmist is saying here is, I, I might not have a practical outward highway that grants me access to Zion right now, because I'm barred from that reality in the natural. But in my heart, there's a roadway or a highway to that reality. I might not have it externally, but I have it inwardly. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, not in the natural circumstances. And he says, in whose heart are highways to, to Zion. I want to encourage you. According to this verse, the inward state of the heart is critical to experiencing that same reality outwardly. This psalmist says, in my heart, I have an access point to that reality. I don't need to be there physically because I possess that state inwardly. Now, here's the remarkable thing. He pictures migration and he envisages, envisages people migrating from one point to Jerusalem or to Zion. And then he says, as they go, as they go on this pilgrimage, this migration along a highway to Zion, a highway that he himself cannot access now, but that reality is internally within his heart. Then he says this, when they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs and early rains cover it with pools. The word Baca here means weeping or depression. And it's a valley, it's a low point. But when those who, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage, whose hearts are set on moving toward a place promised, a place yearned for, and even in the face of it not being an actual physical reality, but the reality is possessed inwardly in the heart, the highway is in the heart, they go from strength to strength, and when they pass through a low point of weeping, the valley of Baca, the Bible says they make it a place of springs. Now notice the wording here. It's not God makes it a place of springs. It's they make it a place of springs. In other words, the strength of inward journeying and migration and forward momentum to reach out for 
that preferred place of favor and blessing that God has for them is so strong within the inward state of their spirits that when they pass through low times of trial, depression, suffering, etc., that does not alter their inward state, but they make the external environment of weeping a place of springs or pools. Now, springs or pools denotes refreshment, uh, revitalization, um, uh, just a, a, a revitalization, a refreshment uh, in the spirit. Now, that reality comes to bear upon the community of people who are so convicted internally within their heart as to the reality of a blessed position in Christ. And I want to encourage you, you are, who are listening to this broadcast, by virtue of the strength of your inward conviction about anything God said as true concerning you, even when you don't see it outwardly, practically evidenced in your life, but you surmount the natural contrary factors in your world and you believe in unswerving faith what God said as a positional truth and you hold that, like the text says, a highway within your heart. When you pass through any valley, any trial of that, that is designed to bring you to depression or weeping, by virtue of your inward strength, you make it a place of pools and springs. What was designed to depress you can be turned around to revitalize you. What was designed to bring you down can be the spur that will catapult you in, in increased momentum towards a preferred place in God. And I want to encourage you with this as we continue exploring this theme in the next broadcast, which I will encourage you to listen to year after. Be strong in faith. Your positional uh, uh, state of being blessed and favored must work itself out practically. And sometimes to make that transition demands, firstly, an inward state of sheer belief and faith. The Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. The outward state of practically experiencing what God said as true is born out from a conviction in the heart. As you think in your heart, so you will experience it outwardly in your life. So I'm here to encourage you, consider yourself blessed, think it, believe it, say it. Uh, God is your father, you are his son. He only has the best interests and thoughts and plans for your life. Consider yourself blessed, consistently walk in absolute obedience to every one of his commandments. And everything soon in your outward sphere, in your outward life, will have to align itself to the force of a conviction of truth that you have come to internally. I pray all grace and peace will abound to you. I commend you to God and to the word of His grace that is able to build you up and to give you your inheritance amongst all the saints that are sanctified in Christ Jesus. God richly bless you.